Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. In the late 18th century, William Wilberforce was converted. Almost single-handedly, he broke the shackles of slavery. People there were just totally different. We are looking at the footprint of God over the last 2,000 years. Since the Roman legion destroyed Jerusalem in the year 70 A.D., the Jewish people have a nation of their own. And he said, well, no, Randy, we're not all just faking it. There is a living hope, and his name is Jesus. And I believe that that's really why you're here. Christ died for us. History Makers. Hi, and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with Justin Robinson, who's an itinerant pastor from Faith City Worship Centre in Nunder in Brisbane. And we're going to hear a bit of his story today. Welcome along, mate. Tell us a bit about uh, where you were born and raised. Ah, thanks, Matt. It's uh, great to be here. I'm a West Australian born and bred, uh, born in Bentley, Western Australia, way back in 1977. Okay, and tell us a bit about your uh, your family upbringing. Did you have like a religious upbringing at all? Um, no, not really. I um, my my family. One side of my family was completely atheistic, and I do have a Jewish lineage on my mother's side. But my family, per se, wasn't religious in any way, shape, or form. So I didn't really um, be brought up with any faith in God. Mm, okay. And tell us a bit about your uh, teenage years. Did you, uh, uh, like, wh- wh- what did you do after school? Like, did you get a job? Uh, what kind of work did you do? Actually, teenage years was, was not a good time uh, in my life. Uh, I lost my mother in 1992. In fact, um, I lost her on the 26th of July of that year. And I remember it perfectly. I um, was preparing to play soccer um, against uh, Fremantle United, which is a team obviously over in Perth. And uh, I went to wake up my mum, who was on the uh, lounge room floor watching the Barcelona Olympics, and uh, realised that she had gone. Oh, gee. What was the cause of her death? Uh, we found out afterwards she didn't uh, let us on or she didn't tell us that she was dying. We knew that she was a little bit sickly, but we didn't really think that it was you know, anything untoward. Um, the autopsy showed that she had severe cirrhosis of the liver, mm. and so that basically, you know, um, graduated into cancer. And so the official diagnosis was she died of um, cancer of the liver caused by chronic cirrhosis. Mm. Oh, mate, it must have been a tough time for you. Did you have any uh, connection to God or church or anything in that stage? No, no? not at that time. Um, no, I had a father who. Uh, wasn't the best fathers um, the earth has ever provided, and so when um, when my mum died, uh, my father basically got another girlfriend three months three months after she passed on, and kicked myself and my brother out of the house. Oh, wow, where did you go? To the streets, and then from house to house, just with mates and and whatnot. And you do you just yeah, you just get by to do what you do. Did you get in a lot of trouble in that time? Um, thankfully, I, I, look, I did a lot of things wrong. Did I ever get caught? No. Um, so I believe the Lord spared me somehow. Um, I got involved with, uh, drugs, um, alcohol, um, girls, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, um, thankfully I really didn't, um, cross the line into like, you know, real criminal activity. Mm. Okay. And what did you do for work after school? Like, did you study or have a career or? Um, I, I, well, when mum died, I basically, well, before mum passed away, I was an AB student and I was attending Kelmscott Senior High School. And after mum died and, you know, the way things went, I sort of gave up on my schooling. I sort of just said, nah, don't want anything to do with this kind of stuff anymore. And 
And I went to from being an A B student down to basically an F student, and I ended up getting expelled in Year Eleven. Mm, okay. And any any kind of jobs that you held after that, or no, no, I just um, yeah, I basically just survived by you know, you know looking through people's you know pockets for spare change and um, whatnot, and yeah, just mm. um, no, I didn't hold any jobs down, but. During that time, actually, it was quite bad because seven months after my mum passed away, my uncle, her brother, passed away of the same thing. And then another um, 13 months after that, my grandmother, which was her mother, passed away of the same thing also. So I lost three of them mm. um, within a two-year period. Wow. And yeah, it's pretty pretty hard. And what about your faith journey? Uh, how long was it after that that you came to faith? Well, it, it, it really started um, in 1994. Um, my grandmother was, um, she was dying. Uh, she'd gone to the hospital. She obviously knew she was sick, and so she tried to fight it. Um, and in this time, I was going from house to house. I ended up staying in a, a Christian lady's home with my then girlfriend. Um, you know, we was, I was still at that time, in, before I got expelled, I was in year 11, and she was a Christian. She was a she was a very very fiery devout Christian. And so while my grandmother was dying, she would go to her house and tell her, tell her about Jesus, tell her about you know the gospel and and all that kind of thing. And and so um, that was the beginning, I guess, of me hearing about you know this Jesus Christ. Mm. Um, so yeah, nineteen ninety four was I, I suppose the beginning of my faith journey. But I didn't really you know follow Jesus until two thousand because some stuff in between happened, which was pretty radical. Tell us about your conversion story. I'd love to hear. I mean, I've heard <laughs> a little bit of it before, but, yeah, tell us tell us the story, mate. It was a really, really strange. Um, the The night my grandmother died, I had just got um, my P's. Um, in WA, back then, you could have got your, your P's at 17 years, and, and so I just you know bought um, a Holden Gemini, which was my first car, which was a really good car. And anyway, so the night came where... A Mandra hospital um, rang up the house I was staying in, and the lady um, who was looking after me, her name was Debbie, she said, Justin, you need to go to the hospital and you need to go now. And this was like 10.30 at night, 11 o'clock at night, and I was like, oh, you know, I'm a fresh out of driving school P player. And, and where I was living, Armadale, um, to Mandra, it was a 70-kilometer journey through Bush, and I wasn't really keen on doing it, but I went. And so I went to the hospital and when I got to the hospital, I, the nurses brought me to the room where she was, um, you know, very gravely ill. She couldn't speak. Um, she was full of morphine and all the drugs that they give, you know, cancer patients and catheter and, you know, all the medical stuff that you see. And and so anyway, when they brought me to the room, my nana was laying on the bed and she was facing the door as I came in. She couldn't, she'd lost her power of speech by then. And so what she did was she held out her, her left arm and... I took her hand, which was like for 20 minutes. And then out of, I don't know, I remember Debbie was talking to her about Jesus and the gospel and all that, you know, stuff that I was hearing out of, uh, you know, because when, when, when you're faced with a, a situation where someone you know is about to die, you want to give them hope, regardless if you're a, a believer or not, you want to say or give them something that's going to, you know, offer some form of comfort. And so... I just out of my mouth, as she was holding my hand, I said, it's okay, Nana, go to Jesus. He's waiting for you. And I wasn't a believer when I said that, but I remembered the words of Debbie, and, and my Nana seemed to like the conversations that they were having. So I just said, go to, go to Jesus, Nana, he's waiting for you. And, um, and so I left the hospital room, and I knew that was the last time I was going to see my Nana alive. And 
when I got back to the house in Armadale, Debbie was uh, waiting at the door, and by this time it was like two in the morning or something along those lines, and and um, she was, you know, crying, and uh, I just looked at her and I said, oh, they rang, didn't they? And she says, yes, sweetheart, your nana's gone. And that was the start of when Jesus appeared to me. I went into my bedroom, and I was numb. I'd lost my mother, I'd lost my uncle, I'd lost my grandmother. Um, I, in that moment, I, I would say, honestly, Matt, there was no emotion. Mm. There was, it was just really, I really can't explain how I feel. It was just an emptiness, like a, a real numbness. Like, is this really happening? You know those, those surreal feelings that you get some, from time to time? Yeah. It was kind of like that, but like, is this really life? Is this really happening to me? I mean, you know. But anyway, so I went on onto the to the bed, and as soon as I put my head on the pillow, now I really fear telling people this because people look at me all the time and they're like, "Oh, you're crazy." But uh, I know what I experienced, and that's the one thing that I I teach people all the time is you can't negate someone's experience, and mm. you can't take away what someone has you know gone through. And so when I put my my head on the pillow, um, in immediately I was like, all I can say that it was now that after 20 years of being in the faith, I knew that this was a real vision. And so I put my head on the pillow and immediately I was walking in this garden. And um, the garden was like a, like a, a cobblestone path. And to my right and to my left, there was beautiful manicured gardens, rolling hills, and the color. I mean, the color was just something I've never seen before. It was just, it was like it was living, yeah. if I can explain it that way. And next to me was this guy, this very handsome, beautiful man. And instinctively, even though I wasn't a believer, my spirit, because I, I believe the Bible teaches that God breathed his spirit into us. So I do believe that our spirits know instinctively who the Lord is. And as I'm walking along, I'm seeing this guy next to me, and I realize this is Jesus. Wow. And this is Jesus walking, and, and, and I, he is the most beautiful man. I mean, just the most perfect being, just the, the, the love, the peace, the grace, the, just the, there was no fear. There was, it, I was in such a place where I, I, I did not want to come back. It was that good. Mm. I was like, keep me here. Just wh whoever you are, just keep me here. But I knew it was Jesus, but that was the mentality I was in. I was like, I don't care who you are, just keep me in this place. <laughs> and as we're walking along this road, he's not saying anything to me. And he's picking these little pebbles, and I'm looking to my right and to my left, and all of a sudden, I see these weeds start to come out of the, out of the grass. And I looked at him, and I said, Jesus, my words were, Jesus, if we're in heaven, and heaven is supposed to be beautiful and perfect, why are these weeds appearing you know, in this garden? And he said to me, he, the first time he spoke, he said to me, he looked at me with such love in his eyes. And he goes, Justin, as you see weeds appearing in this garden, I'm going to need to pull out and know that in your life there's going to be weirds appearing that I will pull out in time. And I was like, and immediately I was awake. I, I'd left that vision. I was, I woke up from my bed. What I thought, Matt, was a minute, maybe 30 seconds, was 15 hours. Wow. It was, it was like time had just, I can't explain it. And I woke up with such a massive smile on my face. I just lost my mom, I just lost my, my uncle, just lost my grandmother, and I'm waking up, and I'm, I literally grabbed my hands, and I tried to contort the, the, the smile off my face. I, I had to pull the smile off my face. And Debbie walks into the room, and she's 
come in to see if I'm okay because obviously she cares for me. And, and then she goes, are you okay? I remember her words. She goes, are you okay, sweetie? And I looked at her with a smile on my face and I said, I think I've just seen Jesus. Mm. And she was a Potter's House Christian, so she was really, really, really out there. She just started praying in tongues and rejoicing and, and, and I'm <laughs> laughing with her. I just lost my grandmother the night before. Mm. And and I'm laughing and I'm in this this real euphoria, and I realize that you know the love of Christ can trans- transcend any moment, any darkness, any fear, any despair. The love of Christ is, it gets rid of it. Tell us about your uh, you know public confession of faith. Was it was it at a church service? What, what happened next? Fast forward to um, 2000. I had that experience with Jesus Christ and. You know, the, the moment or the emotional moment was had passed and I'd regressed back into pain and hatred and anger and I was a very angry young man. Um, you know, you've met my wife, Carolina. She, when she met me, I was angry. I, I was always just wanting to fight someone. I was, I was just an angry young man. Mm. And, and so what happened was her family had all emigrated um, across from El Salvador because there was a civil war that was happening and so a lot of the family, they got a, human, a humanitarian visa to come live in Australia. And a lot of those members were actually born-again Christians. Mm. And so my wife comes from a very uh, staunch Roman Catholic background being Latin American. And so when the um, rest of the family moved across, um, there was two pastors, born-again Christian pastors. And my father and my mother-in-law started to go to the church, um, even though they were, you know, Catholics. And um, because they're very traditional people, I was not allowed to date my wife unless I went to church. (laughs) And so... I, I, I would put up with the church and I would, we would go to this Baptist church and you know we'd go to the service and then we'd go nightclubbing straight after it finished. But anyway, what happened in 2000 is um, I was working in a chocolate factory and one night I was working back late and when I left the building, there was one solitary bus off in the distance that I had to run for. And you know, I was very surprised because normally back then in 2000, the buses only ran you know, to a certain time. But this was like 11.30 at night. And so I saw this bus, and I ran for this bus, and I finally I got on the bus, and and the guy driving the bus had white hair and a, and a really really thick white beard, and I went down to the back of the bus, and um, as he started to drive off, he called me to the front, started to talk to me, and he says to me, he goes, um, son, I want to talk to you. I'm like, okay, no no problem, driver, you must be bored, but I'll I'll entertain you. <laughs> And then he looks at me, and he, as he's driving, he's sort of like, and I don't um, you know, encourage your listeners to do this, but he actually looked at me while he was driving forward, and I was like thinking, get your eyes on the road, buddy. <laughs> but he looked at me, he says, son, I've got this neighbor. I can't remember, look, I'll be honest with you, I can't remember if, he, if he's a neighbor or a friend. I'm, I'm not really, you know, if, this is going back a long time now, but I know the, the, the gist of what he said. He goes, I know this person that, that um, you know, always does his gardening. And I'm like, yeah, what do you do? Good on you, mate. He says, but he never pulls out all of his weeds. And I was like, I remember that from somewhere. And then he looked at me with this real stern look in my, in my face, and he says, the Lord spoke to you about weeds, didn't he? And I'm like, okay, this is, this is random. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was crazy. I was like, yes, 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 he did. And then I, asked, I looked at him and said, um, who are you? And he said to me, these words, and I've never forgotten these words, he says, don't worry about who I am. What the Lord wants to know is, who are you? And I was like, I was challenged by that question because I, I didn't know who I was. So he took me home. And by this time, it was midnight. This is going towards Fremantle now. Carolina is waiting at the door because she was asleep and a voice said, get up, your husband's coming home now. So she rushed to the front door. 
she'd actually started, she'd continued going to the church in that time. I was still drinking and smoking, coming home drunk from time to time. She started to actually want to follow Jesus. So she got saved before me. And so the bus driver gets, he stops outside our house. He goes to Carolina, grab your husband's hand, and he prays for us. Wow. In my, in my front garden at midnight. <laughs> and he prophesies over me. And he says, son, the Lord is going to take you on a journey and he's going to take you to many nations. Now, you've got to remember, I'm angry. I don't want God. I hated God. As far as I was concerned, God took away my family. So while he's praying for me, all I could think of in my own, my own thoughts was, don't you say another word. I don't want to know anything about your God. But he continued to pray for me. And then he took off. I looked at Carolina. She looked at me. And that was really weird. And now the public, how I became a Christian. Three months later, I was still smoking and drinking. One day she says to me, honey, I can't keep living like this. She, Carolina, by this time had really committed to, to Christ. And she said, I want you to stop you know, drinking. I want you to stop smoking. I want you to come with me to a Bible study. And I, I, I had my first real fight with her. We had a doozy of an argument. I said, I'm not going. And, and you can imagine all the words <laughs> that, that were involved with it. And I'm like, not going to a Bible study. I'm not going to a Bible study. But of course, being Latin American, you, know, you have fear of a Latin American wife. The next week I went to a Bible study. And um, I walked into this Bible study and people were praying and because we were running late. And I was a little bit intimidated by it all. And I, I say this as a joke. Um, I, I speak Spanish now, but I was like, I don't know if they were talking in tongues or in Spanish because it can sound, sound like the same thing. <laughs> but when I walked in, this little pastor runs up to me and he hits me in the stomach with his Bible. I mean, Matt physically hit me. Mm. And I'm like, you know, why, 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 would be, why would this person be hitting someone he doesn't even know? And I didn't speak Spanish, and Kalina spoke Spanish, obviously. And I said, can you please ask him what he wants? So he said to her, I want him to read the Bible. So I said, I'm not reading the stupid Bible. That's, that were my words. He hit me again, Matt. The second time he hit me. I'm thinking, myself, what kind of Bible study is this that you would hit people that come in? You know, I mean, you're a pastor. Yeah, I'm sure you wouldn't go and hit, no. hit, hit people. No, it's, it's crazy. And I said to Kalina, tell him if he hits me again, I'm going to drop him. He didn't care. He hit me the third time with his Bible. So I, I, out of curiosity, I was like, what do you want, mate? He said, I want you to read. He didn't tell me where. He didn't show me where. He said, just open your Bible. Matt, the first thing I opened up, up to was Matthew chapter 13 parable of the weeds. Wow. And he says to me, through Spanish, Kalina interpreted for me, he says, son, this is your third and final call. Do not reject this one, so the Lord shall pass you by. And I'm like, oh my goodness me. And right there in that moment, I said, I lifted up my hands. I, I didn't speak Spanish, but I said, Lord, you have me. I, in front of all these people, you have me. Okay, I cannot... I cannot run from you any longer. So that was the moment where I publicly said, yep, I'm going to follow this Jesus. And I tell you, the pain, the anger, the hurt, it left me. Immediately, it left me. You know, all the years of knowing that, you know, um, stuff had happened, the, the, the death of my, my, my mom, my, my uncle, my grandmother, the rejection of my father, that didn't care anymore. All I could feel was the love of, of a father. Mm. I, I literally felt the warm embrace of a father who loved me. And it was the best feeling. It was more than a feeling. It wasn't a feeling. It was truth. I, I think that's what I would say to, you, to, to, to your listeners right now. It's, it's not a feeling. It's a truth. Mm. To know that Christ 
loves you regardless of all this mess that we've put ourselves in or whatever's happened. And to, know, to have that knowledge. But, but very, if I can entertain you for one more minute, this is the crazy part. In 2005, I became a bus driver for the company that took me all those years back. And the first thing I wanted to do was I wanted to thank the driver. I wanted to thank him. I wanted to find him and thank him because he set my path, you know, for the rest of my, my life. If he, did, if he wasn't obedient to what he had said, then I don't know where I would be today. And so I went into the HR and I spoke to Marty. His name was Martin Byfield. I said, Martin, I'm trying to chase down a driver that drove a 510 bus from Coburn to Fremantle back in 2000, um, leaving about 11.30 at night. And he looks at me. He said, Justin, I'd love to help you, but I can't. I said, why can't you help me? Don't you have records? He goes, no, we've got records. But that bus didn't exist. <laughs> and uh, this is why I fear telling people. I'm like, no, 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 Martin, listen to me. In 2000, I caught a bus. At 11.30 at night, it was a 510, took me to Fremantle. The driver was white hair, white beard, stopped me at my house. My wife was meeting me. I, I told him the whole story. You know what he said to me? He said, well, whatever you're smoking, I want some. That's what he said to me. <laughs> wow. Well, it's a great testimony of how God has pursued you and called you and raised you up. And now uh, over the years, I know you've, you've been a pastor, you've planted churches, you're an itinerant pastor now with yeah. Faith City Worship Centre in Nunder in Brisbane and Queensland. And I know you've travelled to the nations sharing the gospel. I, I've heard you preach a, a number of times. You've got a great uh, fire of God in your heart and, and a great message. It's been so good to hear your story today. Our time's up, unfortunately, but Justin, it's been so good to hear your story today. I reckon you're a history maker. Thanks for joining us. You're, you're awesome. God bless you. Uh, bless you, Pastor Matt. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to listen to this interview again, just go to historymakers.tv. There you'll find links to Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can subscribe to our iTunes podcast or check out our YouTube clips. History Makers is a faith-based ministry and we appreciate all of your support. The vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus all over the world. If you've got a suggestion of someone we can interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless you. Have an awesome day. I'm Matt Prater, and why don't you go and make history? History Makers. History Makers is proudly sponsored by Bible League, who serve the local church and other partners around the world by providing Bibles, scripture materials, and training to help people meet Jesus. They provide God's Word to a lost and needy world. Bible League plants Bibles in prisons, among persecuted Christians and in poor nations, bringing the love and light of Christ into many people's lives around the world. Make history today by joining our friends at Bible League and planting a Bible that will help someone meet Jesus. Go to bl.org.au. Station sponsor. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.